Hello, everyone. Welcome to Teaching Matters, a podcast produced by WOUB Public Media in Athens, Ohio. I'm your host, Scott Titsworth, Dean of the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. On this program and other discussions about topics related to science, technology, engineering, and math, or, or STEM, as it's often called, much of the attention is devoted to middle school and secondary education and higher education. However, we also know that students often develop their own self-concepts about their abilities to engage STEM topics at really a much earlier age. The critical question then is how to pre-socialize students to have a positive affect towards STEM so that they can continue learning and growing in that domain. My guest today is Dr. Stephanie Ryan, author of a children's book titled Let's Learn About Chemistry and also the creator of a website called lesslearnaboutscience.com. Stephanie has a background in chemistry and biology and now combines that with experience in promoting curriculum development, assessment, and staff training in a variety of areas. Stephanie, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. I guess to start with, um, before we start talking about your book and, and your website, um, can you talk a little bit about your professional background um, and how that drew you into wanting to become an author of a children's book? Definitely. Um, I went to graduate school for chemistry um, to be part of a lab and do bench chemistry. And along the way, I was fortunate enough to have an NSF GK12 fellowship where they took bench chemists and put them in classrooms in Chicago public schools. Um, and the goal of the whole project was to make sure that we were better science communicators, to make sure that the public could understand the research we were doing. And by doing that with children, I mean, you're able to really um, put the concepts at a different level to be able to talk about them. You'd be better able to speak to the public. And through that, I ended up switching gears 100% and decided I wanted to go into chemistry education instead of bench chemistry because it was fascinating to see how students learn science. Then along the way, I got my PhD in learning sciences and focused on how students use math in chemistry and the different conceptions they have about different topics. Using that into, I worked at American Institute for Research uh, as an assessment specialist, and it was really cool to see how you could turn all of that into whether a student understands a concept or not for mm -hmm. formative and summative assessments. And that led me to opening my own company where I write curriculum and I write assessment items that are geared toward really looking at what a student understands, not the quick factual kind of things, but making sure that they can reason through conceptually. And if they miss something, it gives the teacher an idea of what misconception they did have. And when I was, I was trying to remember back to both my um, growing up, which is harder to remember, but also my daughters, um, and trying to remember when children are, you know, sort of in that pre-K to third grade time period, which um, is partly what your book is, is trying to um, tap into. I'm trying to remember at that stage really what the learning objectives are that teachers would be trying to um, achieve with students to set them up for success in more advanced study, you know, as they grow older. Can, can you describe in general terms, you know, for, for a child um, that is in sort of that, you know, pre-K to third grade time frame, what is it that teachers are trying to accomplish usually? 
When I was a student, um, it was getting the, I don't remember science very early, uh, like you were saying, with the younger years. And it seems to be more of a push in currently that we're looking at uh, the disciplinary core ideas a little earlier. Uh, with Nash, uh, Next Generation Science Standards, we're kind of more leaning toward teaching them patterns um, the cross-cutting concepts, so like cause and effect, understanding scale, proportion, quantity, and then looking at the science and engineering practicing skills, uh, such as like asking questions, using a model, um, analyzing and interpreting different kinds of data, and really justifying your, your claims with evidence. So not just mm -hmm. saying a fact, but why you think that is. Um, so using real examples in a classroom and building an idea around it using science as a tool to answer the question and not learning it as a fact so they're they're getting little bits of content um i can't off the top of my head without looking at the standards for the nation um i i feel like um the phases of the moon and things like that are starting to be introduced at that age but they're definitely k through two science standards mm -hmm. and that's different from when i was a child mm -hmm. yeah because i i mean like you but even with with my daughter um i don't re remember much of a push for you know what i would refer to as a basic version of the scientific method or um things like that until she was you know more into like fifth grade fourth grade perhaps um and so that's one of the things that i thought was really important about the book that you did and in, in your book, Let's Learn About Chemistry, um, you know, it, when you pick it up and look at it, it's a children's book. As an author, when you were putting this book together, um, what were some of the things that you wanted to try to accomplish in the way that you presented the material to um, the parents and then the children that would be engaging with the book? So that's a very funny story, because as a science nerd myself, uh, the book really started out kind of a niche book. And my husband, who is not a chemist, he loves science, but felt that it was a bit off-putting, some of the language, my first draft. He said that he felt like he didn't understand the vocabulary and that most parents wouldn't. And that if I wanted to put this book out there, this would only be sold to chemists at that point. So I worked with a developmental editor who really helped me guide parents through the book by giving them answers throughout it without making them feel silly for not understanding something um, or you don't even have to read it to the child if they're not ready for that part yet and there was one part of the book that drove me nuts that i had to add uh, was putting the uh, name under a picture of what it was because in my mind as a chemist you would know by looking at it but then i have to remember and take a step back that not everyone was a chemist and that one the editor fought me on it was like no you really need to do that and so i ended up giving in and that was something a lot of parents have written in and told me that they loved that part because it helped them read it to their children hmm. um, one of the main things i really wanted to add into it was the um, question and answer kind of format to make an interactive mm -hmm. book instead of having students and children just read they got to answer a question and they might all pick a different thing so some of the pictures may have a color feature that was also similar and so a younger child might say oh these are all red that one is orange and that's the difference but as long as they can justify their claim with evidence 
that's fine by me. That's the, one of those um, science and engineering practice skills that I think is a good outcome to come out of it as well. Sure. One of the, so let me try to narrate, um, uh, by the way, for, for listeners, uh, we're putting a link to Sarah's website within the text accompanying the podcast, and you can go to the website <clears throat> and see examples um, out of the book to get a better understanding of, of what the book is doing. But let me try to describe one and then Sarah, maybe have you talk about the concept that's going on here. And one of the pages of the book, and it was one of my favorite ones, and I'll explain why in just a second, it shows um, four different actions or things um, on the page. One is a person cutting a piece of paper. Another one is, another of the pictures is two ice cubes that are starting to melt. A third is a pot of water that is boiling. And a fourth is an egg that is being fried in a skillet. And the question is, um, which of these things is not like the other? And as you mentioned, you know, there's differences about all of them, but what you point out in the book is that there are also similarities regarding physical versus chemical differences or change. Um, do you want to kind of give an explanation to listeners about what those four pictures are trying to illustrate and how a parent or someone might, you know, work with their child to understand a chemical reaction versus a physical reaction? Yeah. So, um, this, book is meant to be read to kids of all ages. And so different ages are going to pick out different things. And I read this to kindergarten classes, and a lot of them will pick out the fact that ice, the water boiling, and the egg frying all have heat added, and the scissors do not. And that is a very, that is something that is common among them, and that's fine. And you can say, yeah, you're right, that is true. Um, but what might be different about the egg in that case? Um, and so some kids may not have cooked with their parents yet, but a lot have cracked an egg while baking. And I ask them, what color was that egg when you cracked it open? And they talk about how it was clear and gooey. And, and then I say after it was cooked, and then they say, oh, it's really yellow and hard and white. And so it's not the same anymore. And I can't ever turn it back into that. And so depending on the age of the child, I might leave it at that. Or I might leave it at the fact that the heat was added and those, oh, those are different and just move on to the next one. But if they're older and you feel like they can handle the vocabulary and taking it a step further, then I would read the answers on the uh, other side of the spread of where it explains the answer. Um, a lot of that is mostly there for the parents, just in case they're not sure um, of what the differences are. But we did highlight the uh, the vocabulary word that is important in a different color right there to highlight that. Right. One of the other um, so in in um, at, at in my college at Ohio University we have um, a school of visual communication which does a lot with knowledge representations that are put into anything from books like what you're doing all the way up to um, like the New York Times, but representing data or information and. Um, a little bit later in the book, uh, you have a section on macro and micro, which I thought was really great. Um, you show pictures, for example, of a leaf, an apple, and a ladybug or a beetle, I guess. And then you also show in that same uh, panel a picture of a microscope that has, um, it looks like maybe a, a microscopic view of a leaf because it's green. But you introduce the concepts of microscopic and macroscopic. To me, that was, you know, that's a more advanced concept. Um, but 
the question that I really had about it is if I was a parent and I was trying to help my child understand the difference between macroscopic and microscopic, it seems like there are a lot of tools that I might be able to use that I probably even have around the house to be able to go from the book to the environment and show that. Um, have you you know, encountered that as being something that you know parents could do to have the book become interactive even beyond the pages of the book? Yes, very much so. Um, I have an Instagram account where we do activities and tie them to the book or other books. And there are other bookstagrammers who have tied this to activities just like that, of where they'll go outside and they'll look at leaves, four different leaves, and even which one of these is not like the other. Or um, do you think you could see the cells on this leaf of the tree? And um, just using this game of which of these is not like the other things you can see and you can't, like the air um, being something that's different. So yes, uh, you can definitely take this macroscopic versus microscopic uh, discussion outside of this book. Um, in terms of the book itself, so I, I, I've seen your website. I haven't, I'm sorry, looked at your Instagram account yet, but... Do you have, um, uh, I mean, are there other ways in which parents are using the book that maybe surprised you? Or do you find, you know, stories of what people are doing with it and talking about with their children that you maybe didn't anticipate when you wrote it? Yes. Um, so there was one parent who was doing Montessori education and they had one of the trays that they have for a daily tray. And she set it up like a grid that had the four different things and her child had to explain it of what was different and what was the same and getting at the surface features and showing, um, I think that she may have used color if I remember correctly, but she still tied it to the skill of being able to justify your claim. Um, mm -hmm. We did one yesterday with physical and chemical change, my son and I, uh, where we melted crayons uh -huh. and uh, broken crayons to reuse them and make rainbow crayons. And we tied it to the book that way as well. So you can use art projects to do it because you're melting. And that's something you could talk about with liquids right. and solids. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, in terms of uh, parents as they're working with their children, I mean, you know, this is written as a children's book, but are there, you know, do parents have to learn these concepts in any detail before they can effectively use the book as a resource with their child? I mean, I think I know the answer, but I, I'd like to have you talk about that a little bit. Oh, absolutely. Um, no, I don't think you need to have any chemistry background. And that was kind of my goal with this. Um, I hear a lot in my field that people will say, oh, you're a chemist. I, I didn't like chemistry or that's when I stopped liking science or I didn't understand it. And then it kind of turns them off. And because I didn't want this book just to be for chemists, I was very purposeful of making sure that this is something that I could put in the hands of someone who's even uncomfortable with science to say, you mm -hmm. can do this with your child and your child can become a scientist, even if you didn't think you could. Um, and so I, I would say, Yes, I think you could just pick this up and work with science with your kids. Yeah, it's not like um, me trying to learn the way that math is taught now compared to when I was doing it that I have to <laughs> spend a lot of time looking at it. Um, in the process of creating your book, um, obviously it's an illustrated book because it's written for children of a certain age. And I hope that I pronounce her name correctly, Christine Kagara. Is that the illustrator's name? Yes. Okay. Um, 
when you were working um, with her and your publisher, obviously a, a visual aspect of the book involves the children, you know, that are depicted in the book. Um, and, you know, one of the things that's immediately apparent is that y- you tried to uh, represent diversity among those children, uh, both, uh, you know, s- biological sex diversity, male and female students, and other types of diversity as well. The reason I'm asking this question is that we know from from data that especially once young women get to the middle school age years, a lot of them maybe started with an interest in in STEM and then it starts to diminish, you know, quite significantly. And by the time they get to high school, there's a very large uh, attrition rate of of women no longer choosing to continue in the STEM discipline. Did you have conversations about how to represent characters in the book? Um, so that they're, you know, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you have women or young, young girls in the book that are action figures, so to speak, and doing these things. Was that a part of your thought process as you were putting the characters together and working with your illustrator? So it's funny because that's always in the back of my mind is making sure that students see themselves in science uh, from my work in working in Chicago public schools. It's always since then, I've always thought of that. Um, and it turned out that my son's best buds when he was born, we were in a baby group and all the moms and these were his best friends. And so uh, we ended up, the illustrator just took actual photos of the four kids. One of them uh-huh. is my child. Uh-huh. And illustrated them with all of their favorite toys and activities. And so it just, the illustrator kind of worked all of those in together. Um, and so like one of the little boys, I think like to play superheroes. So she put all of the kids playing together doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she just instantly knew based on how exhaustive the list was I gave her of all of their favorite toys and what they look like and yeah. favorite colors that she she held true to that. As you were confronting some of these uh, issues like this, were there were there any challenges that, you know, sort of came up in the process of doing this that you had to problem solve? In terms of after the book was published for the diversity, since in the beginning of the book, I don't explain the backgrounds of all of the children. Mm-hmm. I've had a few comments that they felt like it wasn't diverse enough because they didn't know the backgrounds of the children. Mm. And so that was something that I wasn't sure how to approach. Um, because other than saying like who each of these children are and exactly their entire backgrounds, which I didn't feel like was necessary to the story. Right. Um, so I feel like in interviews, I tend to talk about their backgrounds to make sure that people do know that these are real children and I don't want to take liberties with like their hair or skin um, to make it more obvious. Um, Certainly. Yeah. In terms of issues with it, um, I had with the coronavirus, (laughs) my, um, my book launch was like right in the middle of it and everything kind of shut down. So reviews of books and things like that just stopped. Um, and, uh, my book launch day was actually the same day as blackout Tuesday. And so in the morning, my (laughs) publicist and I, we decided that we would announce the book and then take the rest of the day off, like in, in solidarity. But it was like, I had to launch it because we had picked that date six months ago. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so that's been a bit of an uphill battle just because I haven't been able to have any um, events live because um, all the bookstores are closed to those sort of things at the moment and you sure. can't really do readings in schools. So I yeah. would say that was the biggest um, little hurdle in the process. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. In terms of the book itself, I mean, obviously uh, this one is about chemistry. Your website seems to imply that you have a broader perspective um, than only chemistry. Not that that's unimportant, but you, you have a broader perspective on science. Do you have plans for doing other types of books that will follow the same format and series? I do. Um, so the, when I came up with the idea for this book, my son was playing and I saw him sorting his toys and I was also writing some items and I was looking at a classification of matter um, diagram and I started to think like, wow, a lot of this is actually just sorting, which is the skill kids have. And I sat down and I made PowerPoint slides of several subject areas of what could be sorted in a similar way. And so I do have all of those. They're not written, but I do have plans for down the road of different subject areas. Mm -hmm. And in terms of your um, your consulting uh, company, um, is it tied around this book or do you also do other types of consulting? It seemed to suggest that you do staff training and assessment uh, consulting and that sort of thing. Can you kind of describe that as, as a broader um, part of what it is that you do as a professional? Yeah, absolutely. Um, they are totally separate. <laughs> uh, one was a passion project that turned into something a little bit more. Um, and then my business, I work with states and districts to write standardized test items mm -hmm. or train teachers to write their own items for their tests. And I help write curricular materials such as for like the American Chemical Society. I helped write one of their lab manuals this year. Um, or some districts are writing their own NGSS aligned curricula, and I am helping with those as well. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess the last question that I have, if, if I'm a parent and, you know, through the process of, you know, working with your book, um, and materials like that, I, I come to the conclusion that I'm fairly confident my child not only has um, a high affect towards STEM topics, but that they seem to have some skill in picking it up. And I want to figure out ways to accelerate their education at a young age without burning them out. What's some advice that you have as an educator and a parent that, you know, for somebody that's not a scientist that I could help appropriately, you know, support my child in that endeavor, um, especially if I don't have the expertise to really be able to do it? I would give the advice that there are a lot of resources out there. There are a lot of kits that come from places like um, Lakeshore Learning, or there are a lot of kits on Amazon and elsewhere that you can have step-by-step -step directions of how to do it. But I think the biggest thing is, even if you have those kits, is go by your child's interest. Um, so if they are really interested in like my son right now is really interested in butterflies. So we got a caterpillar kit. Um, I have never grown caterpillars or butterflies before. I'm a little nervous about it, um, but <laughs> it's something he's interested in. And so we're going to give it, uh, give it the college try. And uh, <laughs> he, he's, I'm going to let him drive it. So I'll let him feed them. I'll let him make the observations. But if there's a day that he's really not feeling it, I'm not going to force it. Um, and I think that's where sometimes kids get turned off of a subject 
is when it's forced on them. So if it's not cool anymore and it's not exciting, then it starts to feel a little more like, I hate to say that, it feels more like school instead of you're at home playing. And mm-hmm. then it's not learning through doing anymore. It's just being forced on them. And then they won't like it because you told them they should. Um, so I just said, try to keep it light and fun, but also make sure you're tying it to something else. So like a lot of people do the diet Coke and Mentos experiment, but then they don't ever <laughs> yeah. explain it. Yeah. Um, and I don't see as much value in that necessarily. Cause it's like, then they think that science is flashy and that's it. And I have never, ever in my entire career done a reaction like that as a scientist. <laughs> so I don't think that's a fair <laughs> representation either. So I think it's, it's, I know as a parent, I'm always afraid that I'm going to, oh no, what if, what if he hates this forever now? Because we had this one bad experience with this subject. Um, but kids are resilient. Um, and as long as it wasn't traumatizing, <laughs> I think they'll pick it back up again. But yeah, keeping it light um, and to their interests and doing it as a family, showing if you don't know something, you make a mistake. Like yesterday when we made the melting crayons, some of the crayons were of different brands and they had um, different melting points and it totally botched the experiment. So I got to talk about that, you know, and so like, look, mommy made a mistake and mistakes are fine. Um, And we learned from them and I would revise my experiment to do it this way next time. And so just being there with them, showing that you're both learning, I think is also important. So out of curiosity, what do you do after you melt the crayons? What do you, what's the end product or what do you do with it? Uh, we put them into a silicone mold and after they were melted, we rehardened them and then they are now rainbow crayons. So when <laughs> you color, it's got multiple colors. Oh, that's exciting. Cool. Very good. Well, um, Stephanie, thank you so much for your time today. Um, it's, it was really great to see your book. I mean, I, you know, I said at the beginning that we spend a lot of time in podcasts like this, um, talking about topics that are you know, for probably at the end of the day, much more relevant for older children. Um, but this was a really great example of, you know, what can be a intimidating topic for some people, um, but that can be done in a way that's very user-friendly, both for the parent and for the child uh, with your book. I thought that it was um, really um, excellent in that respect. And um, we'll be excited to share that book with some family friends that have children um, that this would be very age appropriate for. So congratulations on your book. And um, thank you for giving us your time to talk about it today. Yeah, thank you very much. And thanks for letting me share it. It's um, It's been, like I said, it was a passion project that turned into something more. And I just, it's so exciting to see something that so many people's input and like, I read this to my son's preschool in one of the earlier drafts and they helped change it. And so like, it, it's just, it's, um, it's so exciting to see this final product out in the world and on bookshelves. I, and when parents send me photos of their kids reading it, it just warms my heart every time. That's wonderful. My guest today was Dr. Stephanie Ryan, author of a children's book titled Let's Learn About Chemistry. Um, It was illustrated by Christine Kagera. It's a great book, and um, I highly encourage parents who have children um, at the appropriate age for this, which Stephanie, I'm guessing that this is a book that would be targeted for kids up to three or four years old. Is that right? Or does it go a little bit higher than that? It goes a bit higher than that. Um, We're finding that uh, up to about first grade 
Um, oh, okay. So like six and seven, right. uh, because some of the contents, you can take at another level. And it's been working really well with parents with two children, one uh -huh. that's seven and one that's younger, uh -huh. um, because they help each other scaffold the information. Okay, that's great to know that. Um, and you can find out more about this book by visiting Stephanie's website, lesslearnaboutscience.com. That will be linked in the text accompanying the podcast, so you can find it easily. Um, Stephanie, thanks for being here and best of luck with your book. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Teaching Matters. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. You can find it on woub.org slash listen, or you can obviously also find it through all the popular podcasting apps like Google Play, iTunes, and NPR One. You can contact staff of the, of the podcast by going to Facebook, searching for Teaching Matters Podcast, and then sending us a direct message. Our audio engineer and associate producer is Adam Rich. I'm Scott Titsworth, your host. Have a great day.